Today's reading uh, will come from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. That's Luke 10, 25 to 37. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So uh, good day and welcome to uh, the Central Church of Christ. I know that there are some uh, visitors uh, with us this morning. Thank you for being here. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Uh, we continue with our sermon series on the parables of Jesus. And in this particular series, we've seen a total of seven parables. And today, for our eighth parable, I would like to talk to you about uh, what I believe is the most popular parable of Jesus. And in this parable is called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I have not done a field test on the popularity of this parable so I'm not sure exactly if it's the most popular, but I know hand on heart that it's very popular because all around the world, charities and hospitals have been named after the Good Samaritan. And also there are rules, uh, laws and statutes that uh, draw inspiration from this parable to facilitate individuals doing good for other individuals who are in need. Um, you may have heard of this parable. Certainly, all of you have because of the scripture reading, but uh, this morning it warrants uh, for us to, to look into this parable once again, to remind us of the rich and very valuable lessons that Jesus is teaching us through this parable. As Christians, we are called to love our neighbors, and that's what we are going to look into this morning. But first, we are going to look into the earthly story, like what we've done before, but this time, though, we're not just going to look at the parable itself. We are going to look into the background, the background that led Jesus to, to tell this parable to the people around him. And I think when we really understand 
the motivation of Jesus for telling this story to the people around him at the time, we can really zone in on what its pure heavenly meaning is for us today as Christians. So let's start the earthly story with the background. Okay? So how come Jesus told this story to the people around him? Well, in the scripture reading that Levi uh, read to us this morning, Jesus was speaking with, uh, with uh, an expert in the law. And in some translations, it's, it's called, the person was called a lawyer, right? This person was well-versed and an expert in the Mosaic law and in rabbinical law. He's able to interpret the word of God in this manner. That's why he's called a lawyer for the Jewish people. So he had a question for Jesus. He stood up and he asked, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. So Jesus, he answered this question with another question. So he said, well, what does the law say? How do you read it? Right? So Jesus brought him back to the law. Jesus asked him the question, well, you're the expert, you tell me. So with that response, the lawyer had no choice but to answer his own question because he indeed was the, was the lawyer, right? So he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus 19, verse 8. He said, actually in verse 27 of our text, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And with that response, Jesus was pleased, because Jesus said, You answered correctly. Um, Do this, and you will live. So this eternal life is not just the life after you die. Eternal life begins today. It can begin today. And Jesus says the key is this. Do this and you will live. And it's amazing because that in itself, that answer in itself should be enough to respond fully to that question. But we see later on in the parable that the lawyer was not done yet. He had something in his mind and in his heart that he really wanted to say. Something was niggling in himself that needed to come out. Right, and this particular thing is this in Luke ten, in chapter ten, verse twenty-nine. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" So, the lawyer desired to justify himself. I was looking at this and I was thinking, why did he want to do that? Why did he want to do that? If we look at the background of the Jewish people back in the time. We understand that they subscribed to the idea and they taught this, you know, especially the rabbis or the teachers of Israel. They would teach that your neighbor is your fellow Jewish people. Outside of the Jews, you have nothing to do with them. I mean, you're not going to go and intentionally hurt them, but you have nothing to do with them. That love stops with your brothers and sisters in the Jewish religion. And that's why perhaps he was trying to justify himself. Because he was probably measuring himself against these two laws, against these two commandments. And the first one he probably thought, well, you know, I am loving God with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my soul, with all my mind. I'm pretty good with that. But the second one, I don't know if I, if I meet the standard. Maybe because of how he interpreted that law. Who the neighbor, whose neighbor was, right? But amazingly enough, 
for him, for the lawyer, and for us today, this question led to Jesus telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. In essence, Jesus answered this question with a parable. And he starts in verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. So back in the day when Jesus was telling this story to the people around him, people knew of the Jericho Road. It's like in every place in the world. You know, maybe in Winnipeg, you ask where, you know, somebody comes in here and said, well, where's the, where's a bad place in Winnipeg? Don't tell me now. You probably have something in your mind, right? It's the same thing back then. Where should you not go? Don't go to the Jericho Road because you will be robbed, you will be stripped, you will be beaten, and you will be left half dead. That's what it was. In fact, you know, I, I, as an aside, I just, I have a, I have a map here. This is Jerusalem, and that's Jericho right there. It's northeast of Jerusalem, just above, just north of the Dead Sea. If you go to Google, Google Maps or whatever, it looks like that. That's Jerusalem, and that's Jericho, and right here is the Dead Sea. And that distance from there to there is about 18 miles. That's a long, that's a long time, especially if you don't have a car. It's a long, it's a long uh, way to Jericho. But complicated by the fact that the area is really dry and deserty and arid and really, really treacherous. And if you look at Google Maps and then you click on uh, satellite, it's going to look like this. Look at the topography. It's very, it's very dry, very rocky, very hilly. It makes sense because Jerusalem sits on top of a hill. And right down there is Jericho, which is actually below sea level. And that whole trek from Jerusalem to Jericho was, is 3,000 foot, is a 3,000 foot slope. And it looks like this today. Do you guys see that? It looks like a scene from the old, from, the, from a movie, from a Wild West movie. And look at this picture from a long time ago. I got these pictures from Google. Um, it looks like robbers are just lurking right on the corners ready to rob people. That was the scene that Jesus painted with this particular parable. It's a very treacherous road. So the story goes that there's this traveler, the Jewish traveler going there, and he got beaten. He got robbed, he got stripped, and he was left there for dead. What happens next? Next, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. We all know what a priest was. A priest was a man of God. A priest worked in the temple, mediating between man and God. So of all people, this individual should at least know through the scriptures, the compassion of God. But what did he do? He saw the guy on the road, half dead. He probably had compassion on a poor guy. But what did he do? He passed on the other side. Well, I'm not going to touch that. Right? And then what happens next? A Levite passed by on the same road. But when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side, he did the exact same thing as the priest. We know that a Levite was an individual from the tribe of Levi who also worked in the temple. But he was not a priest. He was an assistant to the priest. Right? But he was also a man of God. 
being a man of God, he would at least have known the compassion of God through the scriptures. But he did the exact same thing as the priest. He saw the man and he went on the other side. Now, I put myself back in that time. I imagine myself listening to Jesus as he told this story. You know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm, I'm hanging by every word of Jesus. Okay, there's a man. He went from Jerusalem to Jericho. And my first is, well, that's, don't go there. It's bad. It's a bad place. Yeah, that happens. And then I heard about the priest and the Levite. I mean, these guys are people of God. If they did not help, who's going to help? Which Jewish person is going to help a fellow Jewish person who is half dead on the road? You're, you're waiting for this third person in the story. This third party in the story. And then Jesus introduces the third party in the story. And lo and behold, it shattered everybody's world. He introduced a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. This Samaritan had compassion. If you go all the way back to history, Samaritans became Samaritans when the Assyrians, Assyria is now a region currently that's located north of Iraq. It was the, the, pretty much the, the first big superpower in the world. They came and conquered the, nor, the northern kingdom of Israel. And when they did that, they took a bunch of Jewish people from Israel, brought them to Assyria, and had them serve as servants or slaves. And then what they did is they took a whole bunch of people from outside of Israel, imported them into Israel in a region called Samaria, so that they can intermingle with people there. That's why they're called Samaritans. And, and this is the clincher right here. Right? We understand that the Jewish people, they don't like Samaritans. They're not just any Gentile to them. To them, they're the enemy. Because of their mixed heritage. And we know this partly because of John 4 verse 9. Remember when Jesus sat by the well and asked a drink from a Samaritan woman? This is what the Samaritan said. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In the original Greek, this particular thing in the parentheses had this idea that literally... For Jews did not drink from the same cup or did not use the same vessel as the Samaritans used. So literally back in those days, if a Samaritan person was there, if a Samaritan person touched it, if a Samaritan person made it, if a Samaritan person used it, the Jewish person would not go there. The Jewish person would not touch it. The Jewish person would not buy it. The Jewish person would not consume it. The Jewish person would not, would not have anything to do with it. But see, the genius of Jesus Christ's teaching and storytelling, he made this point so clearly to the people around them that a Jewish person lies there on the ground that needs help and an enemy comes in to offer the person compassion. But it's not just compassion in the mind or in the heart. He actually did something about it. He did not pass on the other side. 
So this is what he did according to Jesus' parable. He went to him and bowed up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set on him his own animal. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. I had this idea in my mind, right? If I was that individual, if I was that Samaritan, and I put the individual who was half dead on my animal, on my donkey or on my horse, I would not be on that horse. I would be holding that the, the leash and walking beside that horse. 18 miles, or at least until I see an inn. Knowing that it's a very dangerous place, that I'm just easy pickings for all these bandits waiting to get my money. That's what he did for this person. And then what happens was he, uh, he brought him to an inn and he took care of him there. And then the next day, this is what happened. He took out two denarii, two days wage, and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. He had compassion and he acted on that compassion. He didn't say, well, who is this person? Hold on. Ah, Jew, not going to touch this guy. It's not about what, uh, it's not about him. It's about, well, if I don't do anything, what is this person going to do? So Jesus wrapped up this story by asking the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And I, I liked I, I not like, but I appreciated and, and, and really like it struck me how the lawyer answered the question. He didn't even use the word Samaritan. He, he said, well, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. And that's the reason why we're studying this particular parable today, because we want to go and do likewise. So what is this story to us today? As we look into the heavenly meaning, I want us to focus on the first question. Do you guys remember the first question of the lawyer? The first question was, who's my neighbor? Do you guys sometimes ask that question to yourselves? Who's my neighbor? You know, if you, we look back to the lawyer, he's asking this question. And I mean, this question is like a loaded question, right? You guys know a loaded question. If you're a husband, you know what a loaded question is. You know, it's like a, a wife, you know, getting ready for a function. Hey, hon. Yeah? Come, come, come look, see. Does this dress make me fat or make me look fat? And what does the husband say? Well, define fat. <laughs> Who is my neighbor? It's like... It's like the lawyer is asking a polite way, is asking a polite way of, of asking, well, who's my enemy? Well, who doesn't deserve my love, my compassion, my mercy, my help? It's like he's asking Jesus, well, who can I ignore, Jesus? Who's my neighbor? Today we ask the same question. Who's my neighbor? And we know that as Christians, loving others it's not peripheral to our faith. It's not something we do on the side. It is central to our faith. Remember 1 John 4, 7 and 8? Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love, for God is of, for God, for love is of God, 
And everyone who loves is born of God. It means that if I love, if you love, if we love one another, we are children of God. And everyone who loves, uh, who does not love, does not know God. For God is love. If we do not love, how can we call ourselves Christians or children of God? But the scriptures is replete with verses like this to help and show our, our love for other people. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus 19, 33-34, we read, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. How do we view strangers, foreigners, maybe in today's age, immigrants or refugees? I hope with love because we were once strangers out of the commonwealth of the kingdom of Jesus. And now we're in the commonwealth of the kingdom of Jesus. But you're saying, well, it's, the old, it's in the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to but the But the concept applies today because Jesus talks about that in the New Testament. For example, in Matthew 5, 44 to 45, But I say to you, love your enemies. Not just people that you don't know. People who actually want to hurt you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Why would you do that? Again, the concept is the same. So that you may be sons, you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. If you say we're children of God and we don't do this, are we then children of God? But Jesus makes it even more clear in the book of Luke, chapter 6, 32-35. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment... What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. Again, this whole business of loving other people, is not an aside to our faith. It is central to our faith. So, with that said, instead of asking, who is my neighbor, let's ask a different question. Let's ask a better question. The question that Jesus asked after he told the parable. Remember what Jesus asked to the lawyer? Which of these three proved to be neighbor to the person who was in need? So, instead of asking, who is my neighbor, don't ask that question. Let's ask this question instead. To whom... Am I being a neighbor? To whom are we being neighbors? Because when we ask that question, it takes the object outside of us. It's not about me anymore. It's about them. Let's get, you know, I try to get into the mind of the priest and the Levite who saw the guy and went on the other side. What was going through their minds? Why did that, why did they not help? The person clearly needed help. Why did, he, why did they not help? I put myself in those shoes. Maybe if I was there and I did not help, I can only think of two reasons why I would not help. Number one, because I'm afraid. And number two, because I'm selfish. 
Are we afraid? Are we selfish? Because if we are, the question that we will ask is this. When we see somebody in need, we will see, well, how is that going to affect me if I help this person? How is that going to inconvenience me today? That's what we will think. That's what's going to go through our minds when we go from it in a selfish point of view. But look at it in the point of view of the Samaritan. He saw the person, and what did he do? He didn't even think about all these things. The question that he had in his mind was this, because it was out of himself. It was for that person. He said to himself, if I did not help the person, what would happen to him? And I hope that that gives us an understanding of the love that God expects us to demonstrate to one another, to the people of this world. And to help us do that, I want us to think about the golden rule. Do you guys remember the golden rule? Right? In Luke chapter 6, I believe, it's here. The golden rule is this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Okay? Don't think about the other one. There's a rule similar to this. It sounds similar, but it's not the same. It's the total opposite. It's like not the total opposite, but it's pretty much the total opposite. It's the silver rule. Do you guys know what the silver rule is? You guys are probably reciting it in your mind. But the silver rule has a fundamental difference, and it's only pretty much one word. This is the silver rule. Do not do unto others as you would not have them do unto you. What's the difference? It's the word not. This one here is do not, right? And this one here is do. This is negative. That's positive. What's the implication? If we subscribe to this rule, it's easy. This rule I can do in my own basement. I can do that all day long in my own basement. Watching TV, playing games, eating Cheetos. You know what I'm saying? I can do that all day. Because my mind would be, I'm not doing anything to you. I don't want you to do anything to me. I don't want, I don't want to be bothered by you. I'm not going to bother you. But this one is different. It's active goodwill towards another person. It's searching. It's me making opportunities for myself to do good for you, for other people. I'm not going to wait until you do something good to me. I'm not going to wait till you can repay me. I'm not going to wait until you can pay me back or do something good in return. I'm going to do it. That in itself is my check mark. That in itself is my reward. I want to serve you. I don't care if you... It doesn't matter. It doesn't, I don't care. It doesn't matter if you appreciate it. I just want to do it for you. It doesn't matter if at the end of the deed that I do for you, you still treat me as your enemy. I just want to do good for you. That's the golden rule. And that's what we need to really understand when we think about loving other people. Right? So, the message today is very simple. The parable of the Good Samaritan is about loving our neighbors. Not just the people that love us back. Not just the people that can repay us. 
Not the, not just the people that drive Porsches, you know, or wear really nice clothes, or tell really good jokes, right? Or have really nice houses, or smell really good. It's for everyone. Now you're probably thinking, well, Jay, you know what? I don't have a lot of money to help the people who are in need. It's not just money that you can use to help. If you really just open your eyes, you can see you don't have to look far to see that so many people need help. If you look around, people just need help. People just need to be, uh, need to be spiritually lifted. You know, I appreciated Evan's Lord's Supper talk today because he said Jesus did so many miracles and many, some of them are physical in nature. But when he came to this world to do way more than physical stuff, he came here to resolve our spiritual problem. There's so many people out here today that are hurting. You know, do you guys know Mario Castro? I don't think he's here today. Mario Castro, is, I think he's one of our youngest uh, uh, members, not youngest, but the most the, one of our newest members of this congregation. He was baptized a few a few months ago, I believe. Mario Castro uh, um, is an amazing man. Like he he came in here from Colombia. He has his wife Andrea and and kids um, um, here, but he's they're not here today. But I was last week. He came and visited and chatted with me, and we were talking about his work. And in a way. I saw, like, when he was, when I was asking him about his work, he said it's stressful, but he didn't say it in these words, but he was using it to glorify God. He was using it to be, to be, to being a good Samaritan to the people that he served. You know, what he did for work, what, what he does for work is he, uh, he, he, he works at a call center for Shaw. Apparently, it serves Alberta, British Columbia, and Manitoba in some parts of the states. I'm not sure exactly as well. But in that particular hall where he works, there's about 300 texts there every day when he shows up. And then calls after calls are monitored. So if you have a problem with your internet, if you're with Shaw, you would call. You, would, you could probably get Mario to help you. But Mario told me that it's a really tough job because it doesn't matter what his, what, what, if, if he's really feeling happy or joyful on the other side, 95% of the time, he would pick up the phone and somebody would yell at him right away. It's about time you answered the phone. It's not like his fault, right? Because some people have been waiting for an hour, an hour and a half. Some people have been promised by other technicians that they would do the job, they would help. But months afterwards, none. And he's there to like, you know, bear the brunt of that. But you know what he told me? He told me it's easy to look at the person dying on the side of the road and say, eh, and go on the other side. It's easy for him to be belligerent back. It's easy for him to yell back. It's easy for him to say, to be sarcastic, to exact revenge right at the moment. It's easy for him to pass off the person to a manager or to a technician, or I will send you a technician, just stop talking. But he says he chose to do something different. He said, if I do not help him, what's going to happen to him? You know what he would say? He has this line that he would use. He said, I know 
it's tough. I know you've been promised. I know it's, you, you're angry. He validates their, their, you know, their feelings. I know you're angry. I know you're frustrated. And he, this is what he would say. But you know what? You have me now. Please give me a try. And I will help you with your problem. Can we just do that for one another? You know, if we don't do that for one another, how can we do that for people outside of the church? We can do this. And as a young, as, as a parent, I'm not a young parent anymore, as a new parent, because my children are really young, one of the ways that I can teach my, I, I, this is my opinion, the best way that I teach my kids about God is, is, my, is, is, to tell, is to show them my attitude towards other people. How I talk about them with my wife. How I talk, how I talk about other people in front of, you know, at home. How my wife and I use whatever we have and cater or tailor everything that we have in our lives so that we can help. That is the best way that I teach my kids how to be a Christian. And you know, I love it because it works. I love it. Um, the message today is, is, is simple. First, let's work on our attitude towards other people. And then the behavior will follow. Please stand as we sing the song of invitation. And I believe it's called Make Me a Servant. This song is also a prayer. Make me a servant. As we sing this song, uh, please ask God to make us servants today.